May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Margaret Haverson, 80 years old, um, lived in uh, southwestern England. One day, um, boarded a bus to uh, do some shopping in a nearby town. She traveled to her, her destination, was shopping a bit, and then got back on the bus and was heading home. And when it came to her stop, she pulled on the cord, but the bus driver just kept right on going by. And so she pulled on the cord for the next stop, and, and the bus driver stopped, and, and she mentioned to him that she had pulled it at the previous stop, and he says to her, well, then I'll, I'll turn around, I'll do a loop and, and, um, and take you back to that stop. And she said, you know, being very English, no, thank you, I'll just manage from here, you, you know, I understand, absolutely. And so she, um, she, said, she pointed a little arboretum and she said, I'll just, I'll just cut through that wood and make my way, I'll be really close to home from there. And he pleaded with her, but she was um, very uh, adamant about it. And so... Uh, got out of the bus and um, headed for this little wood. There was a, looked like a well-worn path into the wood, and she figured she would just kind of cut in it and go right through and be on the other side in no time. I should add that Mrs. Haverson was in a wheelchair, and, um, and she wheels into the wood and um, heads down this little path, and, and the path goes from a quickly well-worn path to a really gnarly small one. But she figured, I'm this far in, I'm going to press on, and she wheels a little further. And pretty soon she's totally lost. She can't find her way back out. And she goes different ways and can't find her way through to the other side. And by now the sun is starting to set. And it's starting to get cold. It's a Thursday afternoon. She keeps looking, keeps trying. Eventually she's exhausted. And she's getting cold. And she sees a tree with a little kind of brush kind of gathering around that maybe a, a small animal had used or something like that. But it looked like it could make a bed. And so she got out of her chair, climbed into the, the, this little thing, and she lied down for the night. She figured she's going to have to wait this thing out. But she wakes up on Friday morning, and she is near numb from uh, the temperatures, near 30 degrees. And she can't really move to even get back into her chair. And so she has to stay there. And Friday goes along, the day this goes on, and, and pretty soon the sun is starting to set and no one has come looking for her. And now she's been out in this wood for 24 hours, the temperature's again starting to drop, and she realizes she's going to have to make it through another night. Night falls, she makes it through, she, um, she kind of gets through the night and wakes up, and she's sure that somebody sooner or later is going to come looking for her. What she didn't know was there was a massive search for her. In fact, there were 27 um, searchers in that wood on Saturday morning kind of going through it with a fine-tooth comb, but they could not find her. She had so wandered off the path and through the wood that, that she was now not able to be located. And so they, they didn't know what to do. They called in um, a canine unit, uh, a border collie uh, you know, handler, brought in this border collie, and within an hour found her. She was numb to the bone, cold, uh, nearing hypothermia, uh, but alive and thrilled that she had been discovered. Um, and she, uh, she, she made it. And she talked about how being lost is awful. How, how difficult it is to feel lost, to not know where you are, to not, not know how to get back to where you came from and not to be any closer to your destination. And that's the truth about being lost, isn't it? That you, that you don't know where to go. You're, you're caught between two ends. Um, I think what Mrs. Haverson discovered in a, in a literal fashion, a lot of people have discovered in a sort of metaphoric one. They don't know where they are. 
They don't know where they began, and they don't know where they're going, and they just have a sense of being lost. And so they try different ways to find themselves. Um, sometimes people, uh, they really, uh, and, and this isn't for everybody who's interested in this, but sometimes people will, will gravitate towards genealogy. They want to discover who they are. If I know who I am, then maybe that tells me a little bit about something about where I'm going. I remember a, a friend of mine said that he did a little bit of this, and uh, they lived in, in southeastern Ohio in, in Nelsonville. And he discovered that, uh, like, a great-great-grandfather, or maybe his third one, I can't remember, but a, a couple generations before, one of his grandfathers um, had gotten into a, a bit of a rustle and tussle in a tavern in Kentucky and shot and killed a man. And to escape from the, the law, he jumped into the Ohio River and swam across the river. And that's how the McGuire family moved from Kentucky to Ohio. <laughs> you learn a lot about your family if you go looking through it, right? I hear a word that's kind of been cre- creeping up in the news media, and I'm sure you've heard it too. And the word is radicalization. You've heard this word, have you? This is not this way if you've heard this. Yeah, this is a common word. It, it's, it's, it's coming up a lot, um, and usually in the context of um, Islamic jihadists people who want to fight Western people in a holy war. I, I, I kind of am a person who loves languages, and, and so when I heard this word, I immediately was thinking etymologically, you know, is that the right word? Is that really the word you want to use, radicalization? Because radicalization comes from radical, which comes from the Latin radix, which means root. Um, at the root is what the word radicalization means. And one of two things kind of cropped up is the way to think about this. Uh, radicalization could be at the root someone is taking upon something totally different. They're at the root going to a different sort of, of reality. Or they're going back to the very essence of the reality. They're going back to the root of what it was all along. I, I assume in the news media they mean the former, but it very well could be the latter as well. In order to go forward in life, some people think that they need to go back to the root and change everything, or at least discover who they are and where they're going, it's really um, it's tragic, isn't it? That for a lot of people, going back to the root means violence and hatred and warfare and death and destruction and all the sort of things that we see happening in the world today. I was reading St. Paul's letter to the Philippians for today's um, sermon, and uh, I wondered what Paul would have thought about if he would have been called a radical. Um, if he would have talked about the, his early Christian communities as, as radical communities, because in many ways they were. St. Paul had, um, had established a little com- uh, uh, Christian community in the city called Philippi, which is in Macedonia. It was the very first European Christian community. Uh, Macedonia, the first time that Paul, he was in, he was in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and he had this vision of this man from Macedonia saying, come over and, and bring us the gospel. And so Paul, from this vision, goes to Macedonia. And when he arrives, he kind of cuts through a mountain range, and he goes straight to Philippi, the city. And there he begins to plant a church. Interesting the way that Paul always works. He would always hunt for the synagogue first. This is what he would do. If there are Jews in the area, this is where you first preach the gospel. So he goes, and there's no synagogue in Philippi. He goes to the, the river by, riverbed and finds some people out there praying. That's how small the Jewish community was. 
And so the Christian community began with some of those Jews, but then began to grow. It was a mostly a Gentile community. But here's the thing. Here's the reason why there was not a, a thriving Jewish community in Philippi. Because the, the Philippians were very proud of their Roman status. They liked that they were Romans. They were a Roman colony. And Romans had really very little use for Jews. And Christians were thought of as a sect of Judaism. They were actually worse Jews than the real Jews. And so Christians were, were more disliked than, than the Jews were by the Romans in the ancient world, especially in Roman colonies. And here you have this little fledgling community in the city of Philippi that is thoroughly Christian. They're radicalized, only in a different way. They, they're, they're kind of at the root very different than everybody else in the community. And because of this, they suffer great persecution. Some of it is social persecution, ostracization, you know, pushed out of the, not allowed to join trade guilds, not allowed to participate in, in a lot of the events. They wouldn't make sacrifices to the Roman gods. They wouldn't eat the foods that the Romans ate because it often had been used in, in ritual sacrifice. They, they couldn't really participate in the community and they were, they were unliked for all of that. And, and so Paul writes this letter to this community. And I want you to try to imagine yourself in that sort of a world. What would he say to you? And what would he say to me? You know, what would he say to us? How, how should we respond to that community? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is a command. This is a, an imperative in both times. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. This is sort of, um, this is sort of go clean your room. I said, go clean your room. You know, um, I, you probably never get this. I get a little pushback on these things, you know. Um, my, my standard response is, that wasn't a question, you know. Um, I wasn't looking for a debate about this sort of thing. I, this is, go do it. This is a, a boss that, that, that says to his or her, her, her subordinate, I want you to fill out this report and get it done by 4 o'clock. It's not a question, right? I mean, this is something you expect to be done. A professor that says, you know, this paper is due on the 12th. <laughs> and you better get it in on the 12th because on the 13th, I'm going on, on winter break, right? Uh, this, is, this is it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Doesn't this stop there, does he? Let your reasonableness be known to all people. In a community where people hate you, where they want you out of their community, where they don't like you. Let your reasonableness, your moderation, better word for this, let your gentleness be known to all people. Let your kindness and your hospitality be known to all people so that everyone will see you. This word is really kind of a fascinating word. It comes from the way a king would respond in, in kindness. A benevolent king would respond in kindness um, to his, uh, his subjects. He has all the power. He has all the ability to do whatever he wants. And he chooses to be kind. He chooses to be moderate. To, to be restrained. This is the way Paul says that they are to, re, to react. And be anxious for nothing. Come on. Now, you know, I'm the kind of person who worries about things I should be worrying about. Do you ever get like that? 
You know, like, I wake up and think, oh, no, what do I need to worry about today? Um, and I, I'm going for the list. Yeah, I, I'm pulling it out. There are things out there. You know, just because you're, you know, you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you, right? There are things out there that I need to be thinking about. Be anxious about nothing. Nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. How can I do How can I not be anxious? Come on, Paul. Look around you. This is a tough world I live in. Be anxious for nothing. How? By prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Don't worry. Pray. Oh, you know, I hadn't considered that. You know, that's, it's an option, isn't it? I could just continue worrying or I could turn my worry into prayer. I could turn to God and tell, tell God everything that's, that's heavy upon my heart. I could lay it all out there and I could do it with Eucharisto, with Eucharist, with thanksgiving. And what would happen then if I chose to do that path? The peace of God, which passes all understanding would guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If only you could just pray, then God would give you his peace. As we're going to go through the Advent season, I don't know about you, but I look around a lot of things, that it, I'm, I'm troubled. You know, I like the whole gift giving and getting, you know. Um, I've pointed out that, um, that they have these new drones with video cameras on them um, to my wife about a dozen times. And, um, and she says to me, you know, what does a 46-year-old man need with a drone with a camera? I said, think of the possibilities, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm totally into it. I, don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I, I'm really distressed by the way the culture runs towards December 25th and the way that, that we kind of hold back. You know, we, in, 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 a, in a liturgical Christian community, we didn't even sing Christmas carols. You know, there's none. You know, if you want to hear a Christmas carol, you better go to the mall because you don't get them here, right? I mean, we hold back. Christmas doesn't begin until Christmas. We're in Advent. We're in anticipation. We're waiting. And how different that is from the culture around us. And I wonder about in the culture that's, that's so filled with violence and negativity and hostility, whether it's, whether it's the, you know, the adversarial atheist or, or the Islamic terrorist, I, I wonder the way that the people are, who act, you know, react negatively towards Christians, how Christians ought to be responding to them. Respond, we'll, we'll respond to violence with violence. We'll, we'll show them. That's not Paul. Don't, I, I know. I understand. I understand we need military. I, I'm all totally with that. I understand police need totally with that. I'm talking about what goes on in our hearts and minds about how we respond in peace, how we respond with reasonableness and gentleness, how they ought to be shocked by our kindness and our hospitality. I was looking at this study from uh, Harvard University. Um, they, um, they were interested in the way that people um, kind of view things that are extraordinary, you know, in their memory so much, you know, better than they are, and how they tend to downplay things that they see, think of as ordinary or, or unspectacular. And so they did this study where they had, um, they had 135 students from Harvard write down um, events that took place, like, in the very past couple of days, conversations they had with somebody, 
You know, I was talking to a friend about the Cleveland Browns and their, their terrible history and draft picks. Or I was talking about, you know, this, whatever. Social events I went to, you know, there was a work party. So they wrote down their events that had just happened. That, and then they were asked, how do you think you will ref, you know, reflect on that memory? Will it, be, will it be something that you'll find to be spectacular and, and, and curious and, and special? Or do you think it will just be sort of, uh, and, and so they were mostly the, they, they wrote down their, their expectations. And they found out, they put them away for a summer, just, just three months, and brought it back out. And at the end of the summer, the thing that was overwhelming was the way that everybody viewed their memories, how they had anticipated it being such a, a smaller kind of significance, that they were surprised by how fun the memory was when they came back to it. In other words, they tended to downplay the significance of it and later looked back and found it to be a quite pleasurable memory. They kind of concluded, that the researchers did, that, um, that often what we do is take the present for granted. We take life for granted. We think it really is, huh, whatever. But really, if we look back on it, there's really quite extraordinary moments that are happening in the ordinary. And they find great joy in that. Find great joy in the present. I think that's what St. Paul would say to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.